Sweet summer children, from the wasteland that is the modern internet, you have found another episode of the podcast, Peep This Noise, which is something of what I'd like to call an intellectual oasis, is that fair? Uh, Amongst these desert sands, I'm your host, Logan Johnson, and I like uh, free horror games on itch.io. I'm Greg Marchant, and I really like Solitaire. I'm Nathaniel Johnson, and I really really like Hollow Knight. Oh, I saw you were playing that. I saw that you'd gotten into the Hollow Knight. Guys, it's so fun. It's really good, right? Have you like, played Hollow Knight, Greg? I haven't. It's downloaded on my Switch, though. The <laughs> movement okay. is so smooth. Um, What like got you into Hollow Knight? Because like, you now have it, and you have it. Have you had it this whole time, Greg? I have. I I got it for I got it for Elena for a birthday present, and uh, I got it for Elena for a birthday present. And neither of us has played it so far. <laughs> In the words of somebody who's bought many, many, many video games, it do be like that sometimes. The first two <laughs> chapters of Death Stranding are awesome. <laughs> So here's here's where I'm at with Hollow Knight. Obviously, I've heard many glowing recommendations for it, of all of which I ignored. Um, but I have access to PlayStation Now, I think is the one. There's PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now. I've got both. And PlayStation Now lets you just download some games or stream them depending on it. And I had like finished all the games I was interested in playing at that moment. So I said, I wonder what's on there that I can play... For the money I've already paid. Oh, Hollow Knight's on here. I'll try that. And I've just been loving it. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with this game actually last year. Probably close to 40 hours with Hollow Knight. Uh, And I've not beaten it. Oh, no. um, Because I'm very bad at Hollow Knight. Oh, okay. That makes me feel bad. Um, (laughs) Also, you probably have the Void Heart edition, right? Which is like the the expanded... Hollow Knight put out a ton of free DLCs. And... Uh, that makes the game much more expansive with a lot of optional content. And navigating that and, and figuring out without a guide, which is probably my next step for Hollow Knight, without a guide, figuring out which bosses are required and which ones are not, <laughs> like which ones you have to beat yourself against, is is very difficult. Well, it's been very fun because uh, Hollow Knight, I think of it as kind of like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, uh, both games which I also really enjoy. Yeah, Hollow Knight's a Souls game for sure. Right, but it's like not at the same time, and what I mean is it's not nearly as brutal. We played a different Hollow Knight, you and I. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying like no boss has taken me more than two attempts. Have you done the three mantises yet? No, I have not. I don't okay. know where they are, you're but I have found get, Mantis Village. You can like do get the claw thing. I can do the claw thing. If you beat them, I'm just going to attribute it. If you beat them in two, I'm going to attribute it to your latent Zelda 2 ability. <laughs> Speaking of having latent abilities, Greg, you're playing Solitaire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah actually, I've, I've, actually played, I've actually been playing uh, Get This Competitive Solitaire. <laughs> what? Greg. Which is about the lamest thing possible. <laughs> There's a. I downloaded an app called Solitaire Live, where it just pits you either against if if there's a real person available, it pits you against them in a timed match to see how quickly you can compete. Uh, you can complete the uh, 
The so, solitaire board. So do you have like a speed record for us? Or like, do you have like a ranking? I I'm oh, ranked like rank. I'm yeah. I'm ranked like forty thousand something. Hey, out of seven billion people, that's not bad. <laughs> something like that. You outrank me, I'm sure. Probably at this point, yeah. I uh Maybe not seven-year-old you. <laughs> seven-year-old me. That's what I was, I was joking about latent abilities. Anybody who had a Windows XP computer <laughs> in the range of 2002 and 2005 is like astonishingly good at solitaire deep down. It just rests within all of us. That in mind <laughs> But super. conversely, we're all bad at space pinball, but we all know how to play it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. we all know how to tilt the thing. O- opposite. I'm, I would actually be the opposite. I didn't play solitaire until like four or five years ago oh no way i had never played solitaire and elena taught me but i am really good at space pinball (laughs) (laughs) i I just love this image of your wife having to sit you down and teach you solitaire because i look at solitaire as something that is a relatively dying art in a lot of ways i know i know but i I view a lot of classic card and board games this way because they're not a part of my life like they used to be i know that's a really weird slanted view on it yeah we're gonna see nathaniel in his aging years sitting around a table with his buddies like uncle iroh playing solitary and singing there's a long it's a long long way to bossing say (laughs) and you know what as i lay out the cards and as my uh, buddy lays out the cards we're gonna make a beautiful white lotus and we're gonna know that we're part of the same secret brotherhood and it's gonna be great and then you're gonna discover that one of those cards is missing and you're gonna have to go to a market and spend all of your time in shops not finding it and then buying a whole bunch of stuff you didn't need and making zuko angry look if i can have zuko as a nephew i'll be thrilled can eli be zuko can we scar his face uh, wow, that took a real turn. Um, um. I was going to say, some of us already go to stores kind of like that and buy a lot of things that we don't need looking for like shoe polish or something. And then we come back with like two new bookshelves. Like that's just a thing that happens to some of us already. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was the most recent episode I watched of uh, of Avatar The Last Airbender was I, I watched that episode last night when he, loses his, when he loses his Lotus tile. It's classic. Such a good show. Speaking of good shows, um, Greg, you recommended something a little different for us. Yeah, so I recommended Attack on Titan, and we uh, we all watched an episode of that for uh, for this um, for this episode of the podcast today. Um, we uh, we watched Attack on Titan. Uh, season one, episode fourteen, which I looked up the name of because it's great. It's called "Can't Look Into His Eyes Yet: Eve of the Counterattack, Part One." I'm assuming "Eve of the Counterattack, Part One" is a subtitle of some sort. It is, because yeah. Because <laughs> "Can't Look Into His Eyes Yet: Eve of the Counterattack, Part One" is a wild run-on sentence. <laughs> well, I, I almost feel like it. Without having seen any other episodes of this show, so understand, I am just wildly grasping at straws for what this name means. I don't. I I've watched this episode twice now, and I don't know what it. I don't know what it means. I don't know who the his in that in that. I mean, title presumably is. Aaron G, Aaron Yeager, right? But is it because no one has a problem looking him straight in the face, really, in that episode, or kicking him straight in the face, kicking oh, him straight sorry. in the face? Uh, content warning for Attack on Titan in general: bloody, violent show. Uh, this episode is chill, so you should know well, that if you it's relatively it. chill. It's pretty chill. I didn't find it objectionable in any way, but uh, like I, it gave me the feeling of, oh, this show is really intense, and this is like a chill episode. Right, yeah, this is like, 
Attack on Titans beach episode, and some dude gets like a tooth knocked out. Right. So, uh, and then spoiler warning for this episode: a dude gets a tooth knocked out. We're gonna say way more than that, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, big uh, time. Uh, for for uh, for anybody who's wondering who hasn't heard of who hasn't heard of Attack on Titan, the premise of the show is it's like a it's not our world post apocalyptic, but it's a post apocalyptic setting where humanity is living inside. A bunch of ginormous walls, um, while outside a bunch of man-eating giants are trying to break in and eat everybody. And so Attack on Titan obviously refers to the the people trying to fight back against these man-eating giants. Right, right. Uh, I was going to ask you, Greg, how much of this show have you actually seen? I I just finished season... Season three or four. Okay. I think season three. I just finished season three, and that's all that is up on uh that's all that's up on Hulu. Netflix has one season, Hulu has three seasons. Gotcha. So I watched this episode with a friend who's really into Attack on Titan. Um so the entire time she just filled me in. So I pretty much know everything about this show. So I will do my best to like not uh, if that's all that's on Hulu, presumably that's all that I know about. So, but I will do my best to not spoil anything for you. <laughs> for I, all I, intents and purposes, this is all I've seen of yeah, the show. Yeah, I basically know the end from the beginning on this one. <laughs> okay. See, whereas I only know basically what I've seen in this episode. There was like one thing that is a pretty big plot point in this episode that I did know going into it. And that's it. But I'm pretty sure that the that the plot point that I'm thinking of is spoiled right in the like first few episodes yeah well let let me spoil let me spoil a little bit of the of the episode here Mm -hmm. giving you the premise this is uh and also if um yeah i'm normally normally would just say go and go and check out the episode but since we're issuing a content warning i i feel like it's i feel like it's fair just to kind of spoil it in case people want to engage with the discussion but yeah not really yeah, I think that's fair. But not really uh, go watch the episode. Uh, maybe they don't like the show or something like that, or they sure. don't want to watch it. Um, so the the premise of the episode is Aaron, who's one of the main protagonists, probably the key protagonist for the show, most often the focal character. He has the ability to turn into a titan. And he used this ability previously to help fight off a bunch of titans and to protect his friends this is a new thing that nobody's ever really heard of and so the military the the highest officers in their military have called a court martial to decide what to do with him normal laws don't apply and the decision is just going to be made on a made in a very political what's best for the military and humanity um, and humanity's safety uh, level. Right, and kind of key to this question about what's going to happen to Eren here is that not only did he turn into a titan and fight off 20 other titans, but it's relatively common knowledge that he also assaulted another soldier during all of this. Right? Yeah. He took a swing at, at Mikasa, who's a friend of his normally, mm-hmm. and so this becomes kind of a problematic thing because he is not, he apparently loses some degree of control. Yeah. Uh, probably more accurate to say all of it <laughs> when yeah. he's 
a titan. <laughs> and so this, uh, and so it's causing a lot of concern because on the one hand, this could be a great asset that could help them turn the tide of this conflict that they're in. On the other hand, maybe it would just end up with him, you know, rampaging on on the you know the humans rather than on the titans. Well, and worse still, because I, th- I think key to understanding this plot is understanding how everybody feels. It's not just that he could turn on everyone in the middle of a battle. It's that that could happen mm, right now while we're in the courtroom. Yeah. And he could literally destroy the entire city from the inside out. Yeah, and the, humanity would just be over. <laughs> the second he raises his voice in any meaningful way, everybody's like, uh... Well, he also in that in that part where he's yelling, he gives off steam, which is a Titan thing. Oh, gotcha. I didn't catch that he gave off steam. Yeah, that's, that's cool. when he, I did. I just thought it was an anime thing. Yeah, no, that that's no, a Titan steam thing. Is, well, and steam in anime is when people are getting angry in serious animes, I would say, or when it's trying to be serious. It's usually an indicator of something going on. Yeah, but no, that puff of steam that came out around him and just kind of swirled. That was that was a Titan thing, which is. Mm. Part of why you got a gun pointed at him right afterward. That makes way more sense, because yeah. I thought they reacted pretty strongly when they did that. Yeah, they try to kill him in this episode, or they at least come close to considering it. Yeah, no, several several people want to, definitely. Um, okay, so let's jump in. One of the things that one of the things that I thought was interesting is that like as in one of the opening shots looking into the courtroom, you see all of the uh, you see all of the branches of their military. They have their sigils up on the wall, so like you have the you have a unicorn for the military police. Um, you have a rose adorned shield for the garrison, who are the who are the ones who kind of uh, man the walls. You have a, and then you have a pair of wings uh, for the scouts. The the scouts actually call them the wings of freedom. Um, so uh, I was wondering. Having not seen any other part of this show, I know Logan's, you know, heard a lot of spoilers and stuff like that, but having not seen any other part of this show, what was your impression of the three groups? So we've got the, so we've got the rose, the wings, and what was the other one for the? A unicorn. And the military police. Military police. So my like raw interpretation of that, I think the scouts is really easy. They're the ones who typically just get to go outside of the walls course they're the ones who think of themselves as free that's not a surprise isn't the wall though named like the rose wall or something like that yeah well the wall rose is one of wall them. rose there's rose maria and sina sina i don't know the third something one like but that. they call the other one maria in the dub yeah yeah which which one is the rose wall uh the outermost i think that that maybe it's the no it's the second one it's the, so it's it's the, the outermost wall. in this episode because uh wall maria has fallen Yes. Right. Yeah. Guys, my knowledge of this lore is deep. Yeah. <laughs> like inherently. <laughs> How many episodes have you seen again? Just this one. Um <laughs> and a lot of a lot of gifs. Many uh, gifs. <laughs> I I I, I uh. also a lot of like fan fiction fan art. Okay. That's uh huh. Okay. Tons of Levi fan art. Like Natch. He's definitely I mean, the coolest character in this episode. Levi Levi is probably he's he's definitely the first or second coolest character. Levi is the character in this episode who, for people who didn't watch it, sits stone faced through the entire trial, basically organizes the trial to happen 
kind of the way that he wants it to by essentially saying, you know, if this dude goes Titan, I will just kill him. And I'm the only one who can. Right. And he proves this <laughs> point by beating the crap out of Aaron while he is chained up. Right. Yeah. Well, it doesn't really say much. He was chained up, <laughs> but sure. <laughs> that really took the wind out of the sails there a little bit. But yeah, I think uh, to circle back on these symbols and, and the different types of military, one of the things that you might not know about this show, Nathaniel, is that um, one of the ways that they fight Titans, the scouts who leave beyond the wall, they fight Titans with like cords, basically. Yeah, they, it's basically like harpoons, right? That they shoot and then they use them to like fly up into the to air. To fly, right? right? So yeah. the wings make sense. And then they have they gas fly. canisters that give them some impetus to... Right, right, right. To swing themselves around. I have seen, like, clips of them doing this, and it's very cool and very coolly animated. They they spend a lot of time, like, in the in the um, intermission, like, uh, I, what are they? I don't know, like the coming back from a commercial break screen. I can tell you what those are called. They're the, who's that Pokemon bit of the show. Yeah, so in those sections, they spend a lot of time, uh, they spend a lot of time trying to get you to buy into the premise of those by giving you some detailed pseudoscientific um, explanations for the mechanics of those. It's Charizard. <laughs> yeah, in this episode, the, the word, by the way, for that, I can't believe you and, you and I personally have produced podcasts for like a year and a half, and you don't know what those are called. They're called stingers, <laughs> and the stingers in this episode oh. are used for conveying like legal codes about why this court-martial is allowed to happen, uh -huh. which is really cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, like Death Note has really good stingers like this as Death well. Death Note right? has them. Uh, My Hero Academia, which I've been watching copious amounts of in the past two or three weeks. Um has them in the form of everybody's basically got superheroes in this world and it knows that there's a lot of characters so it'll just like remind you what different people we've met have um but well we've drifted off the track a little bit i would like to pull back to the garrison um i do yeah. have a spoiler adjacent question for you greg okay um and i don't i guess like this probably isn't great audio but i really would not want to spoil for something for you if i can avoid it do you know like what the walls are made of Yes. Okay, can we yeah. talk about that? No, we can't. Okay. Really? Yes. I know what the walls are made of, and we can't talk about it. Why not? Because I said we can't. That's the only reason. So the walls are made of titans. Yes. They're, they're made titans, out of right? live titans with their, uh, with like, they've caused their uh, skin to harden and turn into walls. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little... Sorry, no, I don't know. No, it's okay. I, I did really, know what they were made of. I haven't okay. really seen the walls, but yeah, it neither. seems kind of hand-wavy to me. But whether it is or isn't, what I do think is cool about it is that the garrison is like the protective force of these walls. Mm -hmm. And they, their symbol is a shield that's adorned with roses. And I think of that kind of like a thorny shield, hmm, right? That's cool. Like an aesthetically pleasant but thorny shield. Which kind of plays into this idea that this shield is actually made up of the enemies. Mm -hmm. So if we dig too much into the wall or we, we mess with the wall too much, apparently, I don't think this is common knowledge, but you can actually get st stung or, or get hurt or cut by the wall a little bit yeah, because there's a live titan inside. That's really of it. interesting. Yeah. Um, that's a cool Which way is a great reason not to mess with the wall. <laughs> so then let's talk about the unicorn. 
yeah. the military police. Now, the military police I is did that a perfect transition to our next segment, but sure, we'll circle back. Sorry. <laughs> uh, special little unicorns, and then we'll jump on now, in. <laughs> do the military police, do they function as the police inside of the city? Like, is it a military state? Yes, basically. They okay. they function as, I mean, any, any soldier, like any garrison of soldiers basically has some policing authority, but yeah, the military police are the police. They investigate... All crimes, they right. investigate Both in and military out of the military. crimes, yeah. civilian crimes, yeah. So I think I think with the unicorn, there's a couple things going on. One, unicorns exist as a hybrid creature. And they're hybriding responsibilities. They're hybriding their responsibilities with the military and with the civilians. But more importantly, they're a fictional creature. And I think it represents the fictional desire to have peace, safety, and security, and it's just a total pipe dream. That's a good interpretation. I'll I'll just add on top of that. I I always I've always thought of it as like the uh, they're the special unicorns. They're they're the ones who never actually have to fight and uh, spend all their times spend all their time doing nothing productive. That's pretty good too. Um, historically <laughs> speaking, military police, not awesome. Um, the more militaristic a police department becomes, the more a state traditionally has led into fascism, especially in the mid 20th century. This is a, a big deal. Um, but wait, hang on. It may be worth distinguishing between a militaristic police force and a military police. So military police is a branch of the military that functions as law enforcement. Right. Militaristic police is a shade lighter, but is o- almost the same. <laughs> right, but I was going to say, from my understanding, the military police is the policing unit within the military that doesn't really have power outside of the military or military-controlled land. That's not necessarily true, right? So, like, the Gestapo in Nazi Germany are a branch of military police. Okay, sure, right? that makes sense. So, yeah, historically, sure, there is a branch of military police that police the military— and when those people get authority over the people, generally not awesome. Right. But I, I wanted know. to make the distinction between right. those different phases, I guess. Yeah. Call it. Um, but at, at any point, if police get access to like military-grade equipment and military technology and military force and then are, are given the ability to govern the public, it's, it's traditionally not awesome. On the flip side of this... It does look super, super cool. It does look every really time. Cool. I mean, we all think about like Star Wars, right? <laughs> Whose outfits are cooler, the Rebels or the Imperials? Am it's I right? always the Imperials. <laughs> There's always a new stormtrooper in every Star Wars movie, right? So I because think this plays cool. in. This plays into the unicorn, right? This thing looks really cool, but boy, that thing's gonna gore you. It is going to gore you with that horn. That's what that horn is for. That's what that horn does. It will turn and it will stab you with it. Um, Just another way of looking at it. The military police in this show in particular are the most political. Uh, They have have a different goal from the rest of the military. Now, during the trial itself, we had the military police who said Aaron Yeager should die, right? Yeah. And then we had the scouts who said, no, we want him to live. And then the uh, wall guard, or whatever they were called. The garrison. The garrison, thank you. Couldn't get involved directly? Is that correct? Uh, they, they were one of the main parties to the, to the dispute, but they were there. They right. They were just kind of bystanders. They weren't all that important. Right, but there was, there was that meeting where um, Pixis, I think was his name. Yeah, Commander yeah. Pixis meets with um, 
Arvin. Erwin. Erwin. Yeah. Erwin. Yeah. And he basically says, yeah, I want Aaron to live, but my hands are tied. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, like, yeah, that was a thing, which we'll talk about that more when we get into the core stuff. But I wanted to hone in on that fact. So the military yeah. police want Aaron dead. So going back to the going back to the walls mm-hmm. and them being very uh, them having some secrets that the general public doesn't know about. Um, we also had another character here called uh, who's Pastor Nick of the Wall Church or Wall Cult, depending on which uh, depending on which translation you're going with. Um, I guess in the I guess in the dub it is Wall Cult, and then in the sub it was Wall Cult, and then the second time I watched it, uh, Hulu had changed it to. Uh, uh, I watched it on Netflix the first time, and then Hulu the second time, and Netflix had it as the Wall Cult, and Hulu had it as the Wall Church. Yeah, so I think that that distinction between church and cult is worth talking about because in many, many ways there's not a lot of distinction in what the two words mean in the English language. There is some, and it is important, but in a lot of ways people use them almost interchangeably, and they use it to convey whether or not they have positive or negative feelings about the organization. Yeah. Not that those are necessarily what the words actually mean, but that's kind of the way they're used. Yeah, the other really important part of a cult, too, and and especially in, in media and things like that, you'll see cult usually used properly. They usually have a a central figure mm-hmm. that it revolves around, right? So yeah. So a cult, while religious in trapping, is often more uh, charismatic in nature, right? So the term personality cult gets thrown around to describe, like, for example, North Korea, right? Where, like, everybody gravitates around a personality, and that person is allowed to have leadership. When those religious right. trappings are, are present, usually the word personality is dropped, and and we just talk about it in the term of cults. Yeah. In in that sense, the in that sense, this organization is more of a church because there are multiple preachers and people within the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to know like what uh, what you guys thought of this character and how you felt about this uh, this show's portrayal of religion. Like, did it strike you as authentic? What uh, what real world stereotypes and themes played into Nick's character? So I I think about religion as it exists now, right? And I look at, for example, Christianity, which um, could be argued to have started off as a cult focused around like one charismatic leader being Jesus, and then over time grew into having many different people with many different ideas. And, you know, you get Catholicism and Protestantism and so on and so forth. And sometimes some of these people seem really, really, really crazy and really wild with some of their beliefs. Like That's just a thing that happens whenever you have people who are very strong in their convictions about their spiritual beliefs. And even more so... That happens a lot when there are leaders in those groups, especially when those leaders have different spiritual beliefs than mainstream, um, than the mainstream public. And so where you've got Pastor Nick, whose views are very clearly different from those of the military in regards to the wall, he doesn't view the wall as just something to protect us. He views it as something worthy of veneration. Of course, he seems like a nut job. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that necessarily makes him one, even within the context of the show. I think that because we see it through the light of military figures, it makes him one. Yeah, I'll spoil. I'll spoil a little bit of the later part of this show. Uh, Pastor Nick does know what the walls are made of. Oh, that's very good. And the um, and part of uh, part of his role and the role of the clergy of this uh, of this religious movement is to keep that secret. Um, it says in this episode that he was, Pastor Nick was the reason, and his, uh, and his followers were the reason that it took so long to get the, uh, to get the cannons mounted on the wall. Because he, he doesn't like them interfering with the wall in any way. Well, and what's interesting about that is, it could be argued then that he and his uh, fellow believers, as it were, are actually acting in the best interest of humanity. Because if they know what the walls are, and they're saying, don't mess with the walls in any meaningful way, they are definitely acting out of humanity's best interest. Yeah, in some way that's accurate. I have a couple of thoughts of what we said about Pastor Nick. First one's a joke. Can't wait until Pastor Nick is immortalized for his actions in this courtroom and for his defense of the wall and becomes Saint Nick. That was the joke. Uh, first real thought about Pastor Nick and, and what's happening here is you mentioned that he's he's portrayed as maybe seemingly crazy through the eyes of the military police. He is also portrayed as like borderline rabid in this episode, right? Which um, I think depending on the perspective that you take of religion and particularly of political religious conservatives, right? Don't destroy the wall is... I would say a very thinly veiled allegory for don't mess with the established way of things, right? Um, it, depending on the view you take of them, that that maybe rabid zealotry might make sense. I don't know that it's necessarily a fair portrayal of of first of all a genuine like what I'll call good faith believers, right? Or even of the people that we would consider more more difficult or more problematic conservatives, right? Um, or religious conservatives. Like, those folks tend to be more sly and more shrewd and less rabid, right? So on the good and bad side of, of what we would consider the religious conservative archetype, I don't know that... I think that the rabid, the rabid nature that... There's probably a word like rabidity that I just don't <laughs> have. Um, the, the rabid nature of... of Pastor Nick, soon to be Saint Nick, is is maybe I think a little unfair. Pivoting back a little to like this great secret that he knows about the wall and him acting in the best interest of humanity, I think it's really interesting to frame it in that term, right? Because we'll talk probably a little bit more about this. Maybe we won't. Who knows? When we get to the political climate of the courtroom, um, but all of this idea that he could be acting in the best interest of humanity is framed in this really interesting idea of republic, which is to say that, like, if the common man, whoever that means, knew about what's in the walls, there's no way we could trust them to act responsibly, right? We have to protect them through secrecy, through an oath, through a brotherhood. Um, yeah. Which it is maybe, like, not accurate, it's right? It's pretty problematic, and I'm... I'm not sure the show definitely portrays it as true, but I'm not sure that's I'm not sure that fits how people usually behave in in real life. Well, if you call me up and you say, "Hey, Logan, the train station near your house 
is made on a giant bed of scorpions. And if somebody takes a jackhammer to that bed of scorpions, they're all going to come pouring out like the end of The Mummy Returns and begin assaulting you and your friends. Uh, the second I saw somebody walk toward the train station with a jackhammer, that would be the end of their career, right? Like, <laughs> that would just be, I, I would intervene in some meaningful way. So even if you did have bad actors with this knowledge, it seems a little um, misguided to believe that people would not be capable of, of somehow policing themselves, right? I think there's one interesting thing that we're kind of not talking about here, though, because you used the example of what if like the train station near my house is on a bed of scorpions but you said what if one of us just called you up and said that like would you actually believe us though like and and that's a really important question would you really believe us if i said like yeah no there's scorpions under there all the time it's actually what like makes the train tracks functional is these scorpions would you believe me if i said that i might if outside of the train track borders was just like hundreds of marauding scorpions okay that's that that's okay <laughs> like okay. no of course not but maybe if there were okay sure millions of them out there ripping people apart fair yeah. point maybe um, if we were in the same situation yeah sure but even still right it's it's an it's a weird thing to get people to believe um and religion kind of does that religion asks people to believe in things that the religion can't provide the evidence for because what are they going to have to do to prove that these walls are actually made of titans? They're going to have to go mess with the walls, which their religion explicitly forbids them from doing. Right. right? And religion, in a lot of ways, does this. I'm not saying, like, it says, like, there's a god, but then it forbids you from, like, trying to find out if there's a god. But No, but, like, think about this in, in terms particularly of, like, 18th century Christianity, right? And especially American Christianity, as we would consider it, right? Which explicitly says, hey... Your brother who just died is still out there somewhere. But dude, don't you do like a ritual. Don't you be a spiritualist because you can't make, like it's forbidden to like try to make contact in any way that would solidify this idea. Right. Right. Um, Not where I thought you were going with that. Cool poll. Cool poll. Somebody's read a lot about uh, 17th and 18th century, uh, like, occultism. <laughs> I gathered. Cool poll. That's what I should have opened with. Instead of, I like horror games on itch.io, I should have said, I'm a huge fan of, ancient, of like, uh, like post-Pilgrim American lore. <laughs> uh, yeah, which you are. Um, but no, like, I think this is really interesting, right? And so the religion in this position where it's in that recognizes we can't tell people the truth about the wall because that's a big pill to swallow and would cause a lot of fear and panic. Why don't we make them sacred instead? I don't know. Well, I think it's really I, I think it's. I think it's also fair to say that this is, um, that there are people who believe the walls to be sacred. Um this is also this is also you could say a personality cult on some level, not on the level of the you know day to day followers of this religion, but the uh, the founding titan, like the spoilers, uh, the founding titan, the uh, usually possessed by like the king or the leader of the royal family, um, is is kind of a deific figure here to uh to like those in the those in the know within this group. I know these are a lot of spoilers, but 
it is kind of a personality cult in that they do have a figure who they see as God. Now that I did not know. Yeah. That's I kind of just want to watch this show, by the way. It's a but very, I don't think I have the stomach the, for it. There's a lot of deep lore here, and you definitely don't want to let your child watch this show. <laughs> yeah, there's that. You you may have let her see you play like Bloodborne and stuff like that, but this is... And now she's afraid of spiders. Yeah, this is deeply more traumatizing <laughs> than anything you... Than anything that could have come up in that context. There's a great sequence in Bloodborne where you have to have to basically, well, you don't have to do this, but but you can hold off a choke point that spiders pour through, oh. and you can fight them on the other side of the choke point. Well, Nathaniel continually dies at this part. This is me drifting off the track, but I, I would love to share this anecdote. He repeatedly dies, plays this for hours, this one segment where you have to fight this choke point of spiders. And four months later has the audacity to look at me and say, I don't know why my daughter is so afraid of spiders. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that is a true story. <laughs> and I'm like, really? No idea. No, idea. <laughs> no clue. Could it have been the giant one at the choke point? <laughs> well, it's worth mentioning that all of the spiders are giant. Like, they're all, like, humanish sized. And then there's one, like, monstrously yeah, massive. Like Sheila like, levels. Sheila levels, yeah. We've drifted off the track. We have, we, we have Greg, drifted quite far. Bring I, us back. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you guys have had so much uh, to say on this topic. I I think that uh, Pastor Nick is a pretty interesting character. I just really liked the way that they for for their religion in this show. They didn't just hand wave uh, hand wave. Oh, it exists. They were like, oh no, it. This is this is a thing where people are like inside these walls, and because these walls are what maintain their state of being alive they worship the walls and they are their these walls are their goddesses like i i just thought it was kind of i thought it was a cool a cool uh more well thought out way of bringing bringing religion in there i think there are some problems with nick's character because some of his some of the things about him seem kind of stereotypical but Sure. I'm glad you guys have have so many thoughts well, on the, the yeah, religion if I, aspect. If I can weigh in here one yeah. more time um, before we move on, one of the things that I think is really cool about this is that it does a really cool, interesting thing that real-world religions do all the time, right? Which is to say that like the actual truth, the doctrine of a religion, often leans so closely to like what would be considered like heresy or blasphemy um, in, in kind of an interesting way. Um, and so one of the things that I really like about that is that like, if you think about like a a Christian, right, a traditional, um, kind of like run of the mill American Christian, right? You get this idea that in Christianity, you should be like a hard worker and be diligent, right? Like, like thrift and hard work, especially once we start talking about like post like seventies, like neoliberal American Christianity in the face of American Christianity as we know it today you get this idea that like hard work and thrift and, and independence are really, really important, but also don't work on Sundays for a lot of Christians. Right. And so you get kind of this like interesting, like thread the line of like, you're supposed to be industrious, but the actual doctrine also says don't be industrious on this one day in the way that you normally would be. Right. And so you get these, these doctrines that, that are like, they seem straightforward on the surface. And then the more you examine the religion, they're actually nuanced and interesting and really diverse in really cool ways. And I think it's cool that they, they emulate this in a way that, that you don't normally see, right? That like 
the religious doctrine, if you will, is don't mess with the walls, but it's because the walls are almost heretic in a lot of ways, or like something the common man would not actually approve of. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of method to the madness here. If if uh if Pastor Nick is rabid, he's he's uh rabid but um he's rabid but uh you know with a goal. Well, that doesn't make any sense, but you get what I mean. Yeah, but Rabbit <laughs> with a Goal was my first band in college, and we whipped. <laughs> uh, and I, I'd like to weigh in on one final thing here with religion, um, because it's really interesting that Pastor Nick is at this hearing for Aaron and is basically spouting off his doctrine any chance that it seems even sort of relevant. Um and what's weird is religion does this a lot. Um, where I mean, medieval Europe was under large control of the Catholic Church. Kings paid attention to what the Pope said. Like, the Pope gave a decree, and that was law for them. Um, but even like now, corporations like Disney listen to various religious organizations about what they do and don't put in their children's movies. Um, and so even though like the power shifts depending on the era you're in, it's still there. It's still real. It's still tangible. And religions, even if it's not directly related, insert themselves into the political sphere all the time, um, for better and for worse. Yeah, I'll flip that around too a little bit and expand by saying it's interesting how the political sphere is in in a similar way completely dominated by exactly what you said, which is this idea that like at some point, like, religions just decided to just fit their religion in whenever they could. We all have that political friend. Spoiler alert, 20, 30 years, at least one of them is going to be in an office, <laughs> right? And it's that friend who is, like, perpetually, like, <laughs> you say something and they're like, yeah, but capitalism, though. Or, like, well, hey, why are you calling me out? I Why are you calling me out? I was not calling you out. I was calling myself out. So, oh, okay. you know. <laughs> so wait, we which have, one of us is going to be that's in an office? <laughs> we all have those friends who who can't ever keep quiet about their politics or about their beliefs, right? I, I, I just am kind of saying I don't think this is an exclusively religious thing, though. Perhaps religion got the seal of uh, authenticity on it first, right? <laughs> like in the 1600s and things like that as the Catholic Church took so much control. They might have had the original monopoly on it, but I think it's really spread to any belief people will talk about, especially if they're passionate enough about yeah. it. There, There is this really uncomfortable political alliance going on in this, uh, in this uh, courtroom episode on the side of the people who want to kill Aaron. Because on the one hand, you have a, you have an officer from the military police and Pastor Nick and a wealthy merchant all lined up in a row and they all argue with each other <laughs> or specifically the military, the person from the military police and the merchant both argue with pastor Nick is what it is, what it actually is. But it's this uncomfortable alliance of, uh, of people who have these interests to maintain the status quo, or at least the illusion that everything is okay. Um, so on that on that route um you if you think about the political climate of the courtroom in this episode 
Um, I just wanted to talk about how this kind of reflects our real life scenario. Um, like in real life, courts are political battlegrounds for the wealthy and the powerful. And I mean, where the, in theory, they're the, they're a place where the poor can confront the wealthy and the powerful, but it's not, it doesn't really work out that way. Um, and I, I wanted to know what your guys' thoughts were on courts being a political space and if the events that you saw in this trial that was going on remind you of uh remind you of anything that you've seen in like a real life court system or other media that portrays court systems so in case i haven't mentioned it on this show um i've recently been accepted to law school so that's a bummer um no but in all seriousness it is always really both hard and interesting for me to watch fictional courtrooms. And I don't mean like like law and order. That's its own type of difficult. Um, I mean like courtrooms that are divorced from any pretense of being like ours. Um, so there's all this stuff going on in this courtroom. Like people just yelling back and forth for a good like five minutes. They're unrelated political opinions before the judge reigns them in and that was the wildest thing to me like that would never happen in an american court of law it just wouldn't sure but to push back on that isn't there a way in which the american court of law just is this right like like yes of course nobody is yelling back and forth right but what happens in this court is that Aaron is brought, Aaron has no voice, and various wealthy and powerful parties argue about what his fate ought to be. And is that just not what courts are in general? In a way, yes. What I meant more was that where in the American system you've got two parties, one that specifically represents the uh, defendant and one that prosecutes them. In this setting, you had both those parties and then several other indirectly related parties that were also taking time to just say their opinion. I mean, but doesn't that happen in real life, just not in the courtroom? Yeah, and also... Yeah, just not in the courtroom. There's a degree it happens to which, on Twitter. <laughs> right. Yes, facts. There's or a degree Facebook also to which social media these of any people kind. are witnesses, right? They're called to the stand. No, in the, this episode, they're not called to the stand. But they bring themselves to the stand by yelling, right? Right, well, and that's what's interesting to me, is because it is so different. Because in the American legal system, we're so rigid, relatively speaking, about how we do things. Like, it's not... Like, as I've been studying law, I tell people, like, if you want to sue somebody, there's a good chance that even if you should win or, like, can get a lot of money out of it, you just won't ever go before a judge... Because we have so many rules in place that most of the time we can just determine before the trial happens who wins and who loses. And so we do what's called settling out of court. Um, that's not obviously what's going to happen here because this is an unusual case. Even in the American system, this would be an unusual case that would go to court. Um, but by the time it gets there, it would take weeks, if not months, possibly years in some cases. Um, and then while we were in there, it would be super rigid. Like only certain members of the press would be allowed in. 
only people directly connected would be allowed in or if they were like just spectators essentially because we do allow that in the American court system if they made noise they would be shut down by the judge and if they didn't shut down they would be removed by the security forces of the judge the bailiff that's not what happens like people just yell back and forth sure this is this also isn't a court Right. Aaron Yeager is not being sued because he killed another man's gun. No, right? it's a military court, right? Yeah, this is a court martial, right? right? And and we haven't had at least a public court martial of this uh, intensity or of this urgency in United States politics. I don't think ever. Um, there it's essentially might be saying like, what do we do with this guy? right now so right. on on that note i kind of want to push back a little bit because you said like if a if a case goes to trial it it doesn't happen this quickly it can take months and all that kind of stuff but there there is kind of an exception to that and that's when you have a that's when you have a very urgent very relevant issue that's caught the public consciousness and it uh, and it is quickly brought to trial because it's a big issue that people are pushing for and it makes its way all the way to the Supreme Court where the Supreme Court is like this is a situation that we have to deal with right now. Right. Because they have they they have the authority to say okay this is a timely case that we should that we should weigh in on right now. Right. But even those cases to from like the time that somebody decides we're taking this to court to the time that the Supreme Court makes a ruling it can be like Two or three years, and those are the urgent ones. Yeah, but I mean, this is a this we're is also an not anime. dealing with a titan. Sure. This is an anime meant to be, con- yeah, with a much more life threatening premise than our real lives, and it's it's set up to be, you know, like consumed in twenty two minute right. episodes. No, and, and that's totally <laughs> fine. That's not what I'm pushing back on. Again, the flip side of this is you're just comparing apples to dinosaurs. Right. Right? <laughs> like you're just saying like, well this is nothing like an American court system where I litigate because my property line is six inches off. Of course it freaking isn't that. No. Right. But what I'm like, saying is there's a surprising amount of chaos in the situation. Right. Yeah. And we're, that's I think what's we're shocking. I think at this point we're just teasing you. Oh, okay. Point. Is that what's going there's, on? There's a shocking amount of of what I would call discourse. Right? Yeah, that's another good word for Which it. Which is like, yes, there's chaos, but more importantly, it's that people are are discussing, right? And this actually ends up being kind of relevant. Probably uh I don't know what you guys how closely you guys follow current events and uh writers saying weird things, but did you guys happen to hear about the Harper's letter? I haven't heard about that, no. Is it the 8th? I think today's the 8th, which means Harper's letter broke yesterday. So it's, yeah, it's the 8th. So this was yesterday. So the Harper's letter was like, I think it's like 140 or something like that. Artists and writers got together and they wrote and they basically said like, hey, they, it's basically a letter against quote unquote cancel culture, which is this idea that like writers should be allowed and should have the space to like make mistakes and and particularly a lot of these people who are speaking are are people who are pretty renowned for being transphobic people like jk rowling is on this list right um and so they they basically like we should be able to make mistakes and like have bad takes without worrying about losing our jobs right um what's interesting about the harper's letter and and by extension this sequence in attack on titan where where people start yelling in this courtroom right is that we're dealing with people here who actually already all have platforms, right? Who yells in the courtroom in Attack on Titan, right? 
Yeah, it's, it's the merchants, the it's church, the merchant, the and church. the various groups of the military. Right, it's the people who have power already, right? And so, but they're constantly yelling each other down and saying, like, no, like, my opinion is the valid one. My opinion is the valid one. How could you shout me down, right? And so it's it's the same kind of thing where, where this is an issue that people are, are hotly debating right now is, like, to what degree do we say, yes, this is open and fair discourse in scare, scare quotes, right? And to what degree do we say, like, no, now you're just saying things like, let's kill Aaron, <laughs> right? Now you're just saying things that are, like, actively harmful to a person, right? Um, and to what degree should people be allowed to have bad takes if they have a platform, <laughs> right? Um, to what degree should I be allowed to scream about, like, my money as a merchant in a courtroom, right? And so I think that there's, like, this degree of, like, yes, there's open discourse here, but it's not really open, right? Who isn't allowed to speak, notably, in this court scene? The only person, the people who are not I mean, there's there's absolutely no civilians except for the three merchants who are all super wealthy. Uh, please, the common folk who always don't understand these things. Well, and as was stated in the episode. Oh yeah, that's a good. Or take. who like blow things out of proportion or something like that. It's I I didn't watch the dub, so I'm. It yeah. sounds it's, familiar, but I did the it's, subtitles. It's, it's the a commoners. It's a dunk right? on regular people for right. not being. They're betters, essentially. Totally. It's, it's a decidedly, like, pro-republic take, yeah. right? This idea that, like, these people should not be allowed into this discourse because they can't govern themselves. More specifically, Armin is not allowed to speak in this episode, and Mikasa is not allowed to speak until she's spoken to. And even after that, she, like, goes up to defend Eren, like, physically defend him from being, like, killed by Levi, beat to crap. She gets up to defend him, and one of her friends is like, you can't go out there. Like, why not? And the answer is because she's not, like, super influential or super rich, right? If that fat merchant had jumped the fence and, like, gotten in the way, people would have been like, the fat merchant? This means something, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so this is definitely, like, an argument of, like, people in this saying, like, how, like, don't silence our opinions, but actually they're the only ones who are allowed to have opinions. Well, as soon as she gives her opinion that, like, hey... It seems more like it was a lapse in judgment because he saved my life on two other occasions. People say, oh, well, she must be a monster too. Like, that's the discourse that happens from everyone else in the courtroom, right. essentially. Right. Yeah. And I, I do think in a lot of ways the... Uh, I, I think there are a lot of good things about our justice system, but one of the things that I think is really problematic is that in the way that... Um, in the way that issues, uh, cases that catch the public imagination um, are taken up, um, it's not generally the it's not generally the average person, um, the uh, it's not generally the average person or the person who would have a lot of stake personally in the in the you know precedent set by the decision who gets to weigh in it's whoever has the most followers and people uh people tend to get followers by uh people tend to get followers like logan said by having a platform and getting people to charismatically gravitate to that platform because one of the unfortunate things is that the average person in the united states doesn't have a platform on their own very very few people have some kind of firm conviction that comes from inside them about about uh any given about any given issue it's a 
platform that they get from whoever they think is uh, whoever they think of as their leader in that in that regard. Well, while we're on this subject of platforms, um, when I first joined Twitter, you know how it gives you those recommendations for who to follow every so often? Yeah. And as you spend more time on Twitter, it becomes more and more connected to the people that, you know, you actually engage with their stuff. When I'm pretty sure that the there was like three or four people that I remember going, huh, so that's who they say I should follow on Twitter, you know, when I first signed on. And it was uh, Donald Trump, which makes a lot of sense to me because when I joined, he was president of the United States, like, I joined post-2016, and... I mean, he is president of the United right, States. Right, right, this but, is, like, but what this I is meant is the pre, election... This is pre-2020 and the... Uh, or this is pre-2021 and the elections are in November, so... Right. Um, what I was trying to say, though, is, like, I joined after he became president of the United States. And so, naturally, he was on there because that's where all of his political opinions are, and... <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and argue and arguably, all of them. arguably, his political opinions are some of the most important in the world, uh, whether or not you agree with them, because he's the president of the United States. Um, so, sure, he's on there. Uh, but then the second, I can't remember if it was J.K. Rowling or Rihanna, um, who I'm going to lump in similar. I, I remember. I remember Rihanna was was one of the top suggestions when I first when I first got a Twitter account. Yeah. Yeah. The world was a very different place when I made my Twitter, folks. <laughs> I've had my Twitter since 2008, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very different place. And then the third person was Elon Musk. <laughs> sure. Now, what's telling about this is these are all very, very well-known people. And even if you don't know what they stand for or what they believe, you could more or less tell me, okay, Trump is the president, Rihanna's a singer, Rowling is a writer, Musk is a space enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? Like, you could more or less space tell me. Space enthusiast with a big wallet. With a big wallet. With, with a fat, fat wallet. Um, but all of these people can just say stuff on Twitter and millions of people will see, like, their idle thoughts. Well, so this is what I was driving at with the Harper's letter, right? And I think we're decidedly not talking about attack on titan this point at this point but i think we've gotten somewhere semi-valuable so with the harper's letter right margaret atwood signed that letter help me out with her handmaid's tale gotcha she okay. wrote that uh salman rushdie a very uh influential cultural critic wrote signed that paper right almost everybody who signed this letter has a position at a paper or a magazine or has published books or and they all say we are terrified of being silenced. But the fact that they, like, J.K. Rowling at this point has made so many, like, frankly transphobic tweets that if she has not been canceled yet, there is not a universe in which she effectively will be. <laughs> right? Right. And so it's, there's an irony to publishing a letter like this and saying, hey, please don't silence us when just a hundred... I could get my 140 closest friends and walk to the local paper and publish a similar letter and nobody would say anything. But these 140 friends do it and the, the world is talking, right? And so it's like a very different thing to say like, hey, like, you're telling us not to like silence you when really you guys are the only ones who can talk, <laughs> right? Like, and yes, that's not to say there aren't like alter opinions to theirs. Of course there are, right? But those opinions are also held by people who are 
wealthy and powerful, right? Once you're in, you're in. And if you're not in, you have no voice effectively, right? And it doesn't matter what they do to you or to your friends. You are stuck, unable to talk like Armin and Mikasa are in this episode, right? Yeah. That was bleak. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And remember, everyone likes bad things. (laughs) I, yeah. I think I think we did hit a val- a very valuable but very bleak place. Um we live in we live in a time where uh where lots of people have a voice but still where lots more people have a voice than ever before but still way fewer than the majority actually get heard. Um and I I think that's a problematic thing that happens that happens in our uh, in our court systems, especially with high-profile cases, um, where uh, where people who are in power get the chance to weigh in and mobilize and possibly prejudice the the outcomes of cases and work hard to work hard to influence it for what is in their best interests because they have a platform um, and because people. Uh, people see that platform, they're like, oh yeah, I want that, rather than building their own. Um, even if even if you don't get heard, at least you know what you think, which I think is, uh, which I think is important, rather than the, the dangerous aspect of not, just, uh, just trusting that someone has a good idea and then justifying their opinions. So to our handful of listeners out there, what we're saying is, even if you really like our opinions, take the time to form your own. Like, that's really important, even if you disagree with us, to us as a group, that you have your own opinions. I have a feeling that the that anybody who's listening to this podcast <laughs> probably is the type of person who has pretty strong opinions. I also love the energy you came into that, too, with Nathaniel, which is like a very, like, this is the end of a He-Man episode vibe. <laughs> I so felt Sesame like, Street too a little bit. He like he like leans to the camera. And he's like, "Today we learned the valuable lesson that you should always form your own opinions." Like when Cringer had to form his own opinion about the saddle that I made him wear. When he finally expressed it to me, we came to an agreement, and I removed the saddle from Cringer. Okay. And at, while you say it, just in the background, like literally as you were talking in my head, I was like. Well, if it makes you feel any better, while you were uh, while you were making fun of me with that in the background, I um, in my mind I was going, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> so um, this podcast was brought to you by the power of Grayskull. You have the power. <laughs> So, uh, did you guys like to form the your own opinions? And uh, will you will so. you watch more of the show? Oh gosh! <laughs> now that second question, I don't know if I can answer. I did really like the episode. I'm glad. But like I have said uh, many times about this, it felt like this episode in and of itself was very tense. But it felt like a relaxed episode of a really tense show, and I don't know that I'm in a good place for that right now. Um, or that I never realistically have the time to watch it with, you know, a two and a half year old who gets like six hours of sleep at night because she's stubborn. I'm in a good place because I watch it while uh, while Eli's just, you know, dozing asleep ah, on do dozing it. to sleep on my on my lap because he won't let me put him down yet. Yeah, that's uh, for me. I like this episode a lot. 
Um, for two reasons, I will not be watching more of this show. One is I truly do not think that I could handle the brutality in this show. More importantly, I absolutely have just loved the way that I have been in taking this show, which is that now I've officially seen one episode, but I've also seen a lot of Levi adjacent memes, right? And so like, <laughs> I have like a pretty good grip on this. And I think that that was maybe the better way for me to, to get Attack on Titan. That's fair. That's fair. So I think... Uh, Greg, with one last thought with this, uh, Levi gives me super strong Mr. Ayazawa energy from My Hero. <laughs> That's just kind of where I want to leave that. Yeah, kind of. Um, kind of with the, you know, looking like he's tired all the time. Yeah, Le- Le- Levi is one of my favorite characters, definitely. I think Levi, and, Levi and Mikasa are uh, my two top favorite characters. They're great. I have a favorite character, but I can't for the life of me remember her name. Uh, describe the describe the character. Is she a manic pixie dream awesome. girl? Awesome, <laughs> she's awesome. Man, I'm not gonna be re- able to remember her. Is name. Uh, it's not Potato Girl. Is it the Scientist? is it the blonde one who looks like she's dead inside all the What's time? What's her name? Oh, now that you said that, now I can't remember. <laughs> it's probably her. Yeah, let me Google Attack on Titan characters. And while I do that, I'm sure I have something else to contribute valuable to this conversation. And the answer is no, I don't. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I got nothing. I can't figure out who this character is. Sorry, guys. <laughs> guys, I always have the biggest. I want to say it's just something. I want to say it starts with an A, but I can't remember for sure. It's Asuna. There's an no, that's sort of on. At, at the part of, and I know that. Is it Annie? Yes. Yeah. Are you okay? I think that's the character. Kind of yeah, like it's lot. Annie. Sorry, at the point in the show that I'm in, she's kind of way in the background. At this point, she's she's not really she she's a big deal at one point, and then she stops being for non spoiler for reasons that I won't spoil because it's not necessary to the content of our show and our discussion. Fair. So I've. I've kind of forgot the the as far as the as far as the female cast the the character that I uh the character at least the side character that I'm most a fan of right now is Ymir because she's just really cool. It's also like a I like her arc Tolkien level name too. <laughs> yeah. So like that doesn't surprise me that that's a fan, you're a fan of that. It character. sounds like Thor's hammer, doesn't it? Yeah. True. <laughs> Mew Mew? Hammer, which, Mew Mew, which two of my high school friends called Mew Mew, and it was just incredible. Yeah. And I can't unhear it. We were in a Walmart, and they were like, look, I found Mew Mew. And I was like, you sure did. There is a character in the MCU which calls that hammer Mew Mew, and you really? should know that. That's yeah, really it's uh, Darcy. Who's Darcy? Darcy is a character in the first and second Thor movies. She is Jane's assistant. Huh. She's like the kind of hyper dark-haired girl. Who doesn't? Who got the job because? Uh, who got the job because her friend wanted to give her a job, and not really because she knows anything about science. Right. I love capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that note, uh, thanks for sticking around through this episode of Attack on Titan uh, discussion. Uh, we had a really good time with this episode. I think pretty much across the board, and and we definitely got some good discussion out here. Came at an opportune time, I will say. Um, yeah. Next time we're going to be talking about something I would say equally grim. Uh, which is the Disney film, uh, y- you can basically guarantee 
every three or four, we got a Disney film or something on Disney Plus circling around because Nathaniel has a two-year-old. Um, so he gets the opportunity to think critically about a lot of Disney stuff. And we're yes, talking I about, do. Uh, one of my all-time favorite childhood movies, caught this one in the theaters and it was awesome. Uh, we're talking about Lilo and Stitch. So with Lilo and Stitch, I want to say, unlike Atlantis, which we did a few weeks ago, I don't think this one will be a bummer for the same kinds of reasons. I think this one's going to be a bummer because Lilo and Stitch is just kind of a bummer intentionally, but not at the same time. I don't know what you're talking about. This movie whips. This movie I'm does like whip. Ready. What, what I mean is like where Atlantis, like when we critically examined it, we went, ah, I'm so disappointed by this critical examination. Lilo and Stitch, we're going to critically examine it, I think, and we're going to go, this is just masterfully done. That's my opinion. Well, we'll see. I mean, it was still made in like 2003, so... There's Something a, might jump out. There's us, always yeah. a chance. Obviously. But but. You'd, you'd be surprised how critically I can examine. Um, Are we going to talk about the fact that she takes pictures of fat people on the beach? Oh, certainly. Yeah, that's certainly going to come up. We'll probably also talk about the character of Cobra Bubbles. We'll also talk about uh, the ethical nature of experimenting on various life forms. Um, there's a lot to unpack stuff. here. <laughs> it's so good. It's one of my favorite Disney shows. I just think it's phenomenal. Well, if you like Peep This Noise as much as Nathaniel likes Lilo and Stitch, I think I just found out that he likes after living with him for 20-something years. Um, <laughs> you can like us on Twitter, at Peep This Noise. Uh, Nathaniel is always tweeting stuff out. You can also like us in whatever podcast app you have that allows such a thing. Give us a rating, a review. Uh, most importantly, tell your friends who might enjoy listening. We don't advertise this show, which is why there is like generously three people listening to this. Um, who knows? Maybe that was maybe that was bleak. But yeah, if you enjoy what you hear, share it, pass it along. We'd really appreciate that. You can contact us with all of your personal takes and your opinions on the episodes at mail at peepthisnoise.com. You can also just add us on Twitter. I'd like to give a special thanks to Katie Davidson and the band Key Losers for allowing us to use their song. Don't Know Why from the album California Light. That song is our show's theme, and it is a... Maybe to call it a banger is not, like, super accurate because it's actually a pretty mellow vibe song. Um, but overall, I would say that it is a good jam, and it's enjoyable. If you've heard me say that more than once and you haven't looked it up, I don't know. I'm starting to worry about you. We might have to court-martial you. Uh, thanks again for listening to Peep This Noise, and remember... Everybody likes bad things. Open up your mind.